Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. All right, guys, welcome back to the Agent Investor Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Caffarella. We've got Athena Brownson. How did I think I do? You pronounced it perfectly. I'm so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, one of the easier ones. So, so yeah, like we were kind of talking about before we jumped on, um, you know, we want to tell your story. So tell us, you know, going all the way back, like what got you interested in real estate kind of to begin with and when did you get in and all that beginning story stuff? Absolutely. Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to just chat a little bit about this crazy real estate world that we have entered and hopefully um, convince anyone that they could do it too. So I grew up in a family of residential real estate developers and Honestly, because of this, I kind of turned turned a blind eye at real estate and didn't think it was something I was interested in. It was what I was inundated with my entire life. And I don't know if anyone really grows up saying, I want to be a real estate investor or I want to be a, re a real estate broker. I, I, I didn't feel like that was going to be the road for me. And boy, I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, so I went down the road of becoming a professional skier. I hurt myself enough that I finally decided it was time to get a real, real world job. And I was interested in interior design. I had a background um, working in interior design and a degree to go with it. And I entered that realm and realized I was bored to tears. Um, it was not something, you know, I was behind a computer all the time. And looking back at my childhood with um, growing up in development, I think something I observed but didn't realize the uh, magnitude of was working for yourself and being able to create your own success, never having to go, you know, sit at a desk for a huge amount of time, unless you'd like to, of course, but really being responsible for what you're creating in this world. So I think I soaked that in without even knowing it and had a great friend say, Athena, you love homes you love interior design, you love people, why are you not in real estate? And it honestly just hadn't crossed my mind. Um, but I listened to her, I quit my job the next day, actually, got my real estate license, and voila, it's eight years later, and a lot has happened. <laughs> yeah, so I hope this story becomes one, I've got four kids, okay. and I hope this becomes one of their stories, because that's something I always think about too, and I feel really fortunate to be in the real estate industry, but I had to go through a similar thing to you. Like I had to have a nine to five job. I had to go through some stuff that was painful in order to really appreciate it. So I always wonder, I like, like I've got my oldest, is, yeah, my oldest is a nine-year-old girl. So I always wonder like, you know, what are my kids going to think as they get older about real estate in general? So it took you a long time to take action. Huh? You took one day to quit. Yeah, I am kind of one of those people that if I get something in my brain and this translates into my investing um, future, if I get an idea in my head and I think it's a good one, I uh, 
you know, to my benefit or detriment, <laughs> depending on the situation, I need to act on it quickly. So I, yeah, I quit my job the next day. It took quite a while. Um, got my license. I was actually recovering from my ninth ACL surgery after skiing, got my license while I was recovering and jumped into the world of real estate. And honestly, investing never even crossed my mind. Um, I think it's, there's a so, little bit of a split boat. No, no, I was going to say, so when, when you quit your job, it was in, you did not thinking investing at all. You were thinking sales. I was thinking 0% investing, which is hilarious considering I was in interior design a and B my family's in development, but I was thinking strictly residential home sales. And it took mm -hmm. me quite a while. Honestly, I think I think it, investors come in two packages. They come in my package where you get into real estate, you work in it a couple of years, and you realize what money you're leaving on the table and what opportunity you're leaving on the table by not being an active investor yourself. Because like you talk about so often, we are consistently helping our clients to build wealth, which is the beautiful part about real estate. And when you start working with investors, the amount of wealth that you are helping them attain, you know, can be of a significant magnitude and it kind of crosses your brain. Why am I not doing this? And then I think there's another boat where um, it's investors that are working with realtors, realizing that they're leaving a huge amount of money on the table by not um, just being an agent themselves and kind of soaking up that margin of commission and they get their real estate license and they jump in. Um, I was definitely in, in the boat of starting to invest without even realizing that I was investing in real estate. It was through seeing properties that I absolutely love. Um, purchasing them, selling, you know, either selling them or keeping them as rentals after two years, and then moving on to the next one and suddenly realizing, hey, I'm myself doing what I've been helping my other investors do. And I have the skill set. I have the knowledge. You know, I think we're so spoiled and so lucky to live in an era where we have so much knowledge at our fingertips. You were, you know, kind of mentioning that before we started. We really can't complain about anything right now because we have the access to information and the keys to be able to be successful are right in front of our faces. And as an agent in particular, a lot of times I think we skip over how much, how many resources there are for us to be successful investors. And everything is, is laid out. The groundwork is there. It's just a matter of, um, are we going to jump into it and take that, you know, that initial step and that risk into becoming a, you know, a formal investor or, or are you going to stay kind of on the sidelines helping others? So when you were, you know, buying these houses and renovating them and selling them, were you living in them? Were you kind of like house hacking it or were you like buying them as rentals and then selling them just to kind of keep building that, you know, capital base? Um, so initially I was house hacking. I was finding uh, properties that definitely needed a cosmetic facelift. I would say I, I didn't initially jump into projects that needed to be, you know, renovated down to the studs, which um, I have 
done since, but I was looking for properties that I knew were in locations. I'm in Denver, for those of you who don't know, um, we're in parts of the city that I knew had a lot of room for growth and a lot of room for opportunity. So I was finding properties that and at this time, I was finding properties on market. I should definitely mention that because I think a lot of investing does occur off the MLS. Uh, and I wasn't even aware of that, you know, being a first or second year agent. I was 24 when I got my license. So, I, you know, I was very green and I was doing these I was really looking to make it houses to their fullest potential, not really realizing that I was creating incredible opportunities for myself to build wealth, which would then go into the next project, which could go into the next project, which allowed me to start accumulating properties. But I, I went into it simply for the love of of doing it, not realizing what opportunity I was, what door I was really opening. So at one point in your career, like how many years in did you start making more investing than you did as an agent? I mean, I'm kind of making that assumption based on what it kind of sounds like. I could be wrong, but like, was there a turning point where you started making more as an investor or did you always, you know, make a you know good amount as an agent and, yeah. and as an investor? You know, I would say about 50-50. Um, I've always put a huge amount of, um, I was I was a former athlete and I think a lot of the discipline and hard work ethic from being an athlete transferred well into being a real estate agent because I, I do believe to be successful, you have to, you have to put in the hours, you have to put in the reps. Um, no one's going to do it for you. And I've always been very passionate about real estate once I got in it. <laughs> um, and quickly, you know, I'd say at like that three or four year mark of being in real estate is when I started to make a significant enough amount of income from my investments, which at the time were either, you know, flipping and selling or keeping properties as rentals and having a little bit of cash flow or like what I like to say, mailbox money coming in each month. Um, but I, I would say it's always been about 50, 50 and, and I enjoy it that way. I think I'm not the personality type to strictly be an investor. I, I love working face-to-face -face yep. with clients. Uh, and I also love the ability to walk clients through the journey that I've had in investing in real estate, whether it's purchasing their first rental, um, helping them envision what a house could be at its highest and best potential uh, by doing some renovating and then selling it, or really working from the ground up and doing a development, which is something that I've just recently gotten into. And it's a whole nother uh, beast. <laughs> yeah, for sure. There's no, and this is why, you know, I love interviewing different people because there's really no one story that everybody has. And some people, you know, they, they add investing and then investing is just like a small portion of what they do. And then sometimes people, you know, go to investing and that's all they want to do. And then like you, you know, you're, you're doing both because you, you do love sales. Um, so in terms of like your client base, are you focused at all on investors or is it like the traditional like retail, like, you know, sphere of influence type of like friend that you typically work with? Absolutely. Around that three, four year mark in real estate, when I started investing um, consciously myself, I definitely 
sought out more investors to begin working with. And at the time, there were quite a few opportunities in the Denver market for off-market you know, transactions that my investors would typically, I worked with a lot of flippers. So I, you know, finding them properties that needed, you know, anything from a huge renovation to a facelift, um, usually happening in like a two to five month span, pretty quick, because a lot of them were using hard money, but you don't, you don't want to let the interest rates rack up on that because it's, you know, there goes your margin. Um, but I, I started actively seeking out investors and working with quite a few. I think Denver, similar to many metropolitan, you know, areas, the the amount of opportunity for flips has become smaller and smaller as the market goes down for the first time or plateaus at least currently. I'm excited because I think it's going to open up a lot more opportunities for investors, but it started to become after about two or three years of working with investors and hunting off market properties, doing everything from, you know, working with wholesalers to door knocking on properties in neighborhoods that I thought would be, you know, good opportunities for, for my clients. Um, my the opportunity to work with investors definitely started to go down as the market fluctuates the opportunity for investments fluctuates at least here and it's just now that you know i'm in my 8th year of real estate and it's just at this point that i'm starting to open my lenses to realizing maybe not realizing but being interested in investment opportunities that are available all over the country. And I think something that happens so often is with the investors I work with, um, with agents, is we get very short-sighted in terms of looking for opportunities that are right in front of us. And instead of saying, okay, maybe Denver, you know, if I'm looking for a rental, um, our cap, maybe our cap rate might not be what I want it to be to really make sense as an investment for my, for my money right now. But have I looked at Georgia? Am I looking at North Carolina? Like, why, why am I not looking for opportunities that are outside of my sphere necessarily? And again, going back to the fact that we have this incredible access to information and to mentors all over the country. I mean, anyone can tune in on this podcast um, and learn a huge amount from agents all over the country about their market. So why not take advantage, capitalize um, on those opportunities instead of just looking right within our own market? So that's something that's just now starting to get excited, me, me excited. And maybe I'm slow to slow to the boat, but I'm it's it's reinvigorating the investing side of me. <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Tom Caffarella. I want to quickly interrupt the podcast to number one, thank all of my loyal listeners of the Agent Investor Podcast and tell you guys really quickly about an exciting event we have coming up. Uh, it's a two-day event. It's called the Passive Income Real Estate Investor Event um, that you can find out more details at PassiveIncomeEvent.com. We're going to be doing a two-day training session teaching all of the agents and all of the investors at the event on how to achieve financial freedom through real estate. If you're like me and your goal is to not work 
80, 100 hours a week grinding, selling real estate, flipping homes, um, definitely check out this event. We're going to teach you how to build a passive income portfolio so that you can retire, so that you can work when you want, how you want, and ultimately achieve financial freedom. So again, go to PassiveIncomeEvent.com for more details. And we look forward to seeing you at the upcoming event. Yeah. Well, there's been a lot of things that have happened in those eight years. And, and you're right. The market has completely changed. I mean, if you go back eight years ago, you could go on the MLS and, and get a deal in pretty much any major metro market. You didn't have to get an off-market deal. And what it became as the market started to get tighter and inventory was less is like, if you didn't have a really good off-market direct-to-seller campaign, if you weren't willing to spend money on marketing or door knock or do stuff like that, you just you couldn't find properties on the MLS to flip. So it, it cut out so many different people that weren't willing to kind of have like that type of business. So it's interesting because like you definitely could, you know, work with a lot of people that could flip on the MLS in that, you know, few, first few years and that got mm -hmm. taken away. And now it's starting, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, every market's a little bit different, but in terms of like the cash flow stuff, that's interesting too, because um, different areas support cash flow differently. And what typically happens in like the major metros that are more popular is like when the market becomes tight, you can't even cash flow there. So that's happening like in my market, that's happening in your market. But then there are other pockets of the country that haven't had an, the type of appreciation. So it's like they're more cash flow markets than they are like flip markets or, yeah. you know, quick turn markets. But, um, but yeah, we, we do some stuff in um, Jacksonville, Florida. Oh, and nice. for this, yeah, for the same reason that you mentioned um, that you can still buy a property, a single family in Jacksonville and cash flow, whereas in Boston, that hasn't been the case for five, six, seven years at least. Um, yeah. So what are you focused on, you know, right now? Like, what do you what do you plan to do, like in the next 12 months on the investing side and the aging side? Absolutely. So an interesting shift is happening in my market right now that I'm sure, you know, many markets are experiencing and that the last year, um, short-term rental laws have changed dramatically with throughout Denver and throughout um, a lot of the markets that I work. I do a lot of business in the mountains, for instance, where clients were investing in second homes, short-terming them when they were not at the property and making really, you know, incredible money on the properties. So the last two years I was, I was doing quite a bit of that and helping my clients find investment opportunities that they could then short term. Now, Denver um, in particular has made, well, I'll talk about two markets. Denver has made a rule that you have to in order to short-term a property and get a license for it, it has to be your primary residence. So it's really cut out a big sector of the investor market that was- And, and, and you know yeah. what, like, this is like, so I've had a lot of people on here talking about short-term rentals. And this is something that I yeah. always bring up. And it's something, it's a reason, you know, that I've never done short-term rentals because mm -hmm. it's like one minute, one minute you could be making a ton of money and then the next minute you don't. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I see that. And, and the biggest thing for me with these is like, there are so many 
billion dollar companies, mm -hmm. Marriott, you know, Hilton, whatever, that have a lot of influence and power, they don't want this stuff. And oh, they're not going to let it you know, happen. <laughs> I, I definitely, and and so like you know, I, I obviously I can't predict the future. I don't. I just don't like. I, I don't like right. the fact that a hundred percent right. <laughs> I just, I just don't like the fact that like a law change could mm -hmm. completely demolish my investment strategy. And so, anyways, I'm sorry I cut you off. No, but it's you're just like so so on point with that because it's something that I you know, naively years, maybe four years ago, and I started working with, I mean, I worked with investors that were accumulating 30 properties that they were short-terming. And in Denver, when the average nightly rental is upwards of 250 bucks, you know, looking at that next to what a long-term rental would be, they, you know, you, they were going to go with the short-term rental. And luckily, you know, these properties were, and amazing investments that they could then turn into long-term rentals. And not only if your property is not cash flowing a, a significant amount, say you're just making after all expenses, a hundred, $200 a month. We are still in a market that, you know, conservatively is appreciating 12% very conservatively. Last year, we had 19% appreciation. I don't think we can compare anything anywhere to last year just because it was um, so up there. <laughs> um, but you're looking at two sides of investment, not only, okay, great, I'm cash flowing a property, uh, you know, whether it's $200 a month or 500, but I'm also sitting on a property that is appreciating 11, 12, 13% a year. And that I can then borrow against in the future in order to leverage my money and put it into another opportunity. But going back to what you said about short-term rentals, I have the, a, a perfect scenario in which that happened overnight. So Breckenridge, Colorado, um, mountain market, you know, it had, I believe, about 9,000 short-term rental licenses um, within the community. Well, last year, I was helping a, um, actually a good lender friend of mine look for an investment property up in Breckenridge that was going to be short-termed. Well, without any, I'm, I'm, no one saw it coming. Uh, of course, the, you know, big hotel groups had been lo lobbying against short-term li rental licenses in mountain markets, along with every market for a significant amount of time. Well, quickly, a moratorium was placed and 5,000 uh, short-term rental licenses would be granted to primary homeowners. Um, and this was, you know, property owners in Breckenridge that were paying for their, to live there basically by renting out their property for a couple weekends out of the year. These were not investors that were coming in to primarily short-term. So, all of a sudden, a, a huge market of clientele disappeared. And so I think realizing that or understanding the implications of what type of investment you're looking at is so crucial um, as an agent and as an investor. 
that, you know, that can go away so quickly. And all of a sudden your strategy for how you were cash flowing a property is completely gone. So I agree with you. I think short-term rentals are um, a little bit hazardous, but now um, in this market that we're in, where it became a little bit thin for investment opportunities, um, on, you know, absolutely zero on the MLS that became a given like four or five years ago, I started getting interested in development. Um, And luckily, you know, had the resources in terms of mentorship to walk me through what it would look like, you know, building from the ground up. Um, So the last year, apart from my residential real estate business that I, I love and I still you know, put most of my energy into, I started about a year and a half, my first um, development project, which is a single family in Denver. And it's been such an incredible learning experience. It's also been a very interesting time to get into development as we look at issues with supply chain, with material costs going up dramatically, with labor shortages. Um, I think it kind of threw me into the, it's like baptism by fire, um, I got baptized really quickly. <laughs> I've learned a ton throughout the process. But again, um, you never know. I think just know, having the knowledge that you never know what is going to come. I don't think we could have predicted the supply chain issues um, or how much, just how much material costs would have gone up. But in, in Denver specifically, we have a huge shortage of inventory. Um, we have over 5,000 people a month moving here. And no, basically, we, we would need about 20,000 units in order to keep um, to house everyone. And we're at about 6,700 a month right now for new inventory. So there's a need for development um, that I don't foresee going away. And I think it's just the next step from, you know, fix and flips into new construction. Obviously being such a more long-term project, um, it's not something that as an investor, I personally want to put all of my eggs in because in the meantime, you know, what can I be doing to create capital and to create opportunities for myself in the future? Uh, and I think it's, again, really easy to get kind of sucked into one avenue, but being able to keep your eyes open to all the different types of investment opportunities is absolutely crucial to being successful. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing, you know, you alluded to it before that's just important is like, the, the market changes. So the strategy, the best strategy to invest may change over time. And some of these skill sets that you've kind of, you know, done and you're learning, like you're never going to unlearn them and they can always be used for different things. One thing that, that we did a lot of that ended up, it, it wasn't a, a purposeful thing. And we actually thought it was negative, but it turned into a positive is we started doing um, some ground up like new construction condos, like in basically downtown, uh, Boston, not downtown, but basically in the center of Boston. And, um, they ended up being long projects, not profitable. And we were like, ah, man, like this was a, a learning experience, but like we, we wasted our time and we always did really well with the quick turns. 
mm-hmm. um, a couple of years later, um, we decided to start building apartment buildings. And so now we've got 250 like apartment, you know, units coming out of the ground. And we never would have even attempted to tackle like a, you know, 50, 60 unit, you know, apartment building if we didn't do those smaller, like three, four, six units in Boston that we lost money on. So I, I think, you know, the other thing, that. obviously, yeah, well, if you saw, if you saw what we lost on some of the projects, you wouldn't, but, I wouldn't, um, sorry. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it's just one of those things where it's like, I, you know, I look at, okay, what are the skill sets you need to be an investor? And, you know, construction is definitely one of them, you know, raising capital, finding deals. It's like, the better that you can get at them. And, and I think that, you know, they had, they progress. You talked about like, you know, doing new construction, it's definitely a harder skill set and it's a more advanced skill set. And with that, you know, you can make more money typically. Um, so that's, that's awesome. Um, I think you just so- touched on something that is the biggest key to any sort of investing. Um, and that's the ability or almost the necessity to fall on your face here and there in order to learn some of the biggest lessons and biggest skill sets that you'll use throughout the future. And I think until you, you know, you can, you can hear about a a failure or something that didn't go well in another situation, all, all you want, but until you're actually living that and experiencing it. And sometimes it means, you know, it can mean losing a lot of money, unfortunately, but kind of taking those, those failures and understanding that the biggest lessons that you need going forward as a successful investor come from those failures. And that's definitely um, been the case for me. I think, you know, there's, there have been projects that haven't gone well that, I might sulk about for a while and it it takes a while to get over, but I look back and, and future projects. And I say, I never would have been able to create this opportunity or to understand this opportunity. How did I not fall on my face previously? Well, like, you know, when you came on here, you said, how am I doing today? And, and I said, I'm always good. And the reason I'm always good is because we're in 2022, right? A failure today it doesn't mean you're not going to eat. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a roof over your head. It doesn't mean your friends are going to leave you. It doesn't mean your family's going to leave you. Like a failure today is a joke compared to like hundreds of years ago, what a failure was. So, you know, I, I, I think it's unfortunate. Like nobody likes to fail because it pretty much just hurts your feelings and, you know, it, sets, it can set you back financially. But at, but at the end of the day, I mean, we are talking like insignificant setbacks compared to like, hey, you know what? You know, thousands of years ago, if you had to go out, you had to hunt down something to eat, but you could die. You know, you're, the failure means you could be dead, right? And the, the failure, I love the failure, it. yeah, <laughs> yeah, the failure, the failure today is just like, oh, you get kind of sad for a little while, and um, so it's just that's you know that's the way I look at it, and and there is nobody it goes in a straight line. I mean, it's so cliche to kind of say it, but it's just not possible. And the thing about even like learning from other people's failures, like you can try to do it. And I think you should, and you shouldn't do something dumb on purpose. But the problem is we all have different personalities. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I could have failed at something and had a really negative experience. And then you could have like crushed it. And it's because we're different people. 
and and you you may enjoy something or you may have a different skill set than me and it's like you know you can you can do your best and and yes there are definitely best practices that like 10 out of 10 investors will tell you don't do this and it's Mm -hmm. right but you know like sometimes it's it's not so clear and you definitely have to like make your own path and the only way to make your own path is to stick your neck out there and just look around and, and keep trying to progress but um so what would you say listen what would you say so here's the thing right you said you said you quit your job in one day what would you say to the person that's listening right now that's been thinking about quitting their job for five years that's been thinking about investing for five years that hasn't taken action yet um a couple things so first of all you know i think me quitting my job really quickly and jumping into it a was was a beautiful thing because I did it. I didn't overthink it and I jumped into it, but I also wasn't necessarily prepared. Um, as a new agent, you, I, I think it is smart and important to look at what your finances are, especially if you have a family, if, um, you know, understand that the majority of agents are not going to do a deal for, you know, maybe a quarter, maybe two quarters. So first of all, make sure that you are financially in a place that you have some savings so that if you don't make money for a couple months, you're going to be okay. Second of all, stop overthinking it. If you are excited about in real estate, if you've been chewing on it, there's, you know, life, I think I personally battle huge health issues and the thing, the biggest thing I've learned from that is that life is short and you never know what the future's going to hold. You never know what the next day is going to hold and the power and the way that it empowers one to kind of grab life by the horns and say, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to jump in both feet for, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to give it my best, um, I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that you can talk yourself in and out of something a hundred times by just sitting and chewing on it. But if you've looked at, okay, is this okay? Am I going to be in an okay place for my family? If, if I jump into a new career and don't make money for a couple months? Yes. Okay. I can do this. Okay. Go to real estate school, get your license. Don't go half, you know, don't work half time. I'm a full believer that if you're going to be a successful real estate agent um, and investor, it's something that requires 100% of your time and efforts. And I think it's important to jump in all the way, um, give it all of your dedication and time, and you'll you'll find success. And I think the beautiful thing about investing and real estate is there are so many different avenues for success. There's so many you know, whether you absolutely love renovating and want to be hands-on with doing fix and flips for yourself, or maybe you can lend your skill set to an investor who, you know, needs that design eye um, after you help them find the property, or you're looking to just have, you know, mailbox money. So you're going to slowly work your way up to having a portfolio of income producing properties, or you want to do development and, you know, build from the ground up, I'm, you know, apartment buildings, the, the range of opportunity is incredible and unique. And there's, there's a different route for everyone. So go for it. <laughs> now, one thing that, um, 
I want to come back to because you never came back to it. And um, now you piqued my curiosity was we talked about that you grew up in a family of developers and no point in this story so far have you come back to your parents helped you or set you up or did anything related to this. So, That's rude of me for sure because they're well, no, <laughs> they're my they, MVPs. Did they come back into the story like at some point um, and help you on the investing side? Um, and how so? A hundred percent. So um, every everything I've ever done, I'm extremely close with my family. And every investment I've ever made, every project I've ever undertaken has been something that I've tabled with them and talked endlessly on because, you know, I realize how fortunate I am to have a, a father who has been there, done that on every scenario that I'm could possibly think of. And I come to him with a problem that seems like the end of the world for me, maybe um, encountering a, a much bigger issue in a flip that I'm doing, or that's going to cost a lot of money or having issues with permitting on something. Um, he is my number one mentor and number one resource for what the heck do I do? How do I get through this? Uh, what would you do? So Every project that I've ever done, I, you know, I look at with my parents' lens. My mom was an interior designer. She did all of the design work for my dad's projects. So that's where I got my love for an interior design. I wouldn't have that without her. Um, another thing is, you know, when I went to purchase my first home at 25, um, I needed a co-signer. I did not have um, my I barely had credit. I, you know, I think there's so many things that we don't necessarily learn um, that are so necessary in the real world. And getting a loan is one of them. I had no idea. Um, but he was my first co-signer. And, you know, to, to have someone that believed in, in me and that I wasn't going to um, make it a bad investment was something that was empowering to me. And it also opened the opportunity to even get my foot in the door. Um, that became, you know, my first fix and flip. Like I said, it was kind of a cosmetic flip. And I think he, he was a little bit nervous in terms of if this was something that was going to be successful, but to be able to have someone that believed in me and watched me take it you know, through to sale a year and a half later, two years later. Um, and, you know, I made a good amount of money on it. And uh, to, for him to be able to watch that process, I think was pretty neat. So they've been, I think, whether it's your family or finding, seeking a mentor that has been there, done that, it's the most critical. Thing. Well, I, I brought that back for a reason. And, 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 and the reality is I didn't know what you were going to say. But I, I could guarantee if you said, hey, my parents disowned me, they didn't help me at all. There was going to be this other person that would have been a mentor. And, and that's the thing. Like I tell my story all the time where book Rich Dad, Poor Dad in 2003, I didn't do my first deal until 2009. And I was an arrogant, cocky, confident, young, young guy. I'm, I, I'm not that now, I don't think. But um, I thought I could set the world on fire at that point. And I did nothing until I got a mentor. It wasn't until... I um I joined a Homevestors franchise in 2009 
And it wasn't until I had a mentor that was a little bit older than me that already had some investing success that could they could tell me what to do, what not to do, that I could go to the having a sounding board. And that's why I like to the, the listeners, like most of you know I have an inner circle program, but you know, I if you're not in my inner circle, you've got to have some mentor because it makes an enormous difference. And you're you're fortunate that it was you know, your parents, but if it wasn't your parents, it would have been somebody else. And I'm sure you could probably name other mentors that have been in your life. And you really want to seek out people that have already done what you want to do because they've already crossed through that road. And so that's a great story. And like I said to you in the beginning, like, I hope that that becomes a story that one of my kids tells when they're older, but they probably... They probably all will not be in real estate. They'll probably all hate real estate, but we'll uh, see what happens. I would be surprised <laughs> if that didn't happen. And honestly, I think my single most important piece of advice is the power and the importance of mentorship and coaching. Um, my my entire real estate career, I've had multiple mentors, like you said, not just my family, and I've always had a coach. I think that there's a reason um, that there are, you know, mentors and coaches, it's because they can tell us the mistakes they've made, how, what they learned from it and how we can, you know, do better. Um, single most important thing in my business and in my life is having mentors and coaches. And I will absolutely never not have mentors and coaches that I am consulting as often as possible, you know, at least weekly. 100%. So, I mean, right now, just to give, you know, the listeners some insight, I'm in three coaching programs. I'm in one coaching program that teaches people how to raise capital. I'm in one coaching program for apartments. And then I'm in another one that's a a mastermind just for investors across the country that they do a certain amount of flips per year. And, and that, you know, just adding that up, it's 60 grand a year that I pay. And, and it's, it's a drop in the bucket. It's a lot of money. But it's a, and, and I don't advocate anybody who's on this call just to run out and spend a bunch of money on coaching. But um, I, I do think like it doesn't have to be paid. It, it can be just having a mentor that can be there to help you. No, I agree. I think honestly, I, my biggest investment in my career is coaching. Uh, I probably spend about 30 grand a year and it's the best money I spend by far. Um, I work with a investing mastermind group like you do. I have a coach that is militant in, in making sure that I'm on my toes and doing the activities that I need to be doing to be successful. Um, and then I meet with a group within my company. So it, you know, and you think about the time investment that you make in that. And honestly, I think that's the best, uh, return on my investment I could possibly ask for is, is the hour I get with each one of those groups a week. So if our listeners want to reach out to you, learn more about you, what's the best way that they can do that? I will send you to my Instagram page. Cause it's got all my contact info on it. <laughs> my it's got my website and phone number. Um, so my Instagram is Athena Brownson Realtor, and I will spell that. It's A T H E N A B R O W N S O N R E A L T O R. So, yeah, if anything that I can ever do, reach out. I love chatting and meeting new people, and it's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you. 
Well, I want to thank you for jumping on. First person to give out an Instagram handle, which is just shows how old I'm getting. I just turned 40 a couple <laughs> weeks ago. I'm Facebook, which is like, I That's, probably... Yeah. 40s young 40s the new 30 come on <laughs> I know I know I'm, I'm trying to talk myself into that but I want to thank you for jumping on sharing a lot of great information and guys we'll be back next week with another guest um, I look forward to seeing you guys next week thank you for tuning in thanks again for listening to the agent investor podcast and especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes Every time you share the show and leave a review, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get free weekly education, strategies, and to connect with other agent investors across the country, join our free Facebook group at agentinvestor.com. Again, that's agentinvestor.com.